Greetings, family. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm Fernando. I am an alcoholic. Let's go ahead and open with a moment of silence, followed by the serenity prayer, please. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, wisdom to know the difference. All right. Uh, the 12-step movement is for men and women who have made a decision, a commitment, a choice. Not for uh, the crybaby I used to be. I couldn't make that decision till I made it. It got tested like in four times in one year. This is about the time that I decided to stay sober. Coming into the uh, holidays, I remember that much. And when I made that decision, I got tested four times. Got tested with the skirt. <clears throat> like Dr. Bob says, there's always a slip behind the skirt. That's a pretty thought. And then he said, uh, anger, fist, fist fighting, or uh, competition will cause me to drink. Or uh, sentiments with the old, old fellas, you know, with the... Uh, uh, the camaraderie with the old friendships with the old guys and come on man have a drink uh, I had to make a commitment to that try to explain them that that'll wake you up and uh, being around alcohol in the holidays and making a commitment but since um, you know that what I experienced is that uh, it's easier when you go to meetings read the book 20 minutes in the morning 20 minutes at night make a choice to conquer the book um, to be in contact on a daily basis with a sponsor and other AAs. I always say get a bunch of uh, new guys and run together like young horses from hill to hill, from meeting to meeting, and uh, and talk about recovery all the time and watch each other. You know, camaraderie and a new friendship and because uh, we're having a spiritual awakening as we go along and it's giving us uh, fuel for our commitment. So we have... Meetings and friendships that hold back the 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 anxiety and the uh, the craziness of taking that first drink and uh, reading the books and talking to our sponsor. But if all that is not around and you're a loner, like I'm a loner, I didn't have any of that. <clears throat> I didn't have any any kind of uh, social skills or ability to run with anybody or be a friendship or. You just left me alone. I was the guy on the corner, way in the back, and no one talked to because the skull in my face was going to say, I was going to cuss you out. So they left me alone. Best thing that ever happened to me. I I observed, I came, I observed, I looked, I reasoned, I looked, I laughed, I reasoned, I reasoned, I laughed, I relaxed, I put my chip outside, finally got out of my shoulder, and I became a human being. I wanted what you wanted. The laughter, the joy, everything came in. The point I'm making is the commitment hell, guys. After everything was gone, I made a commitment as a man, I will not drink. And it it worked. Boy. But it took it took some cornering. Uh the the lady at the uh, you know, the lady at the uh, uh, at the Anibuse school, I had to pay for Anibuse school to go at the same time as AA ordered by the judge. The lady in the Anibuse school, after three months going to a year program, she said, you've been coming here twice a week. I live, you know, in another city. 
uh, my AA meetings were in another city. My uh, uh, anti-abuse uh, meetings were in a, a far away, and my work was far away, and I added a college uh, trying to get a chemistry degree or air conditioning. Everybody thought I was there to make drugs because of my looks. Anyway, she cornered me and says, you're still drinking into this program. I'm going to send you back to the judge. This was in the early 80s. And she just nailed me. And I know she was talking the truth. And, I, you know, AA already softened my heart. And I said, yes. You know, uh, she says, I didn't even say yes. I said, okay. Kind of like a coward. I said, okay, lady, you have a program here. And I stood up and I said, I will do your program. And uh, I will commit to stop drinking. She goes, okay, I'm going to take you on on that. And I made a decision. I said yes to a human being, and I held on to that. And that's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, one of the hardest things. But one of the most rewarding uh, thing was to stand up to the drink and say, not today. Yep, I do want to drink. Not today. Or if they keep coming at me, I say, you can have my portion. It's okay. You can have, and their eyes just wipe because unlimited amount of supply, right? Or they say, uh, uh, I'm not drinking today. You say that I'm, because it's always today, right? So I have my little uh, water in my hand when I go to places. I have a soda or I have a, a dark soda in my thing. And I say, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Or I'll say, I'm drinking soda. I start telling them the truth. And it works, folks. You go prepared. You got to be in a wedding. You got to be in a quinceanera. Anywhere around that's got to do with alcohol. Briefly, I go in. I say hi to everybody. And and a hug and, and share. And right before 9 o'clock, right before it starts getting dark and the evil starts coming uh, down from the heavens and people start acting insane, insane is when I leave. Right before all that starts. Anyway, someone had to hear that. Today's Daily Reflection says, uh, A new state of consciousness. He has been granted a gift which amounts to a new state of consciousness. And being, 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, page 107. Many of us in AA puzzle over what a spiritual awakening is. I tended to look for a miracle. I tended to look for something dramatic, earth-shattering, but what usually happens is that a sense of well-being, a feeling of peace, transforms us into a new level of awareness. That's what happened to me. My insanity and inner turmoil disappeared, and I entered into a new dimension of hope, love, and peace. I think the degree to which I continue to experience this new dimension is in direct proportion to the sincerity, depth, and devotion with which I practice the 12 steps of AA. Again, my insanity and, and inner turmoil disappeared. And I entered into a new dimension, a new level of hope, a new level of love and peace. You know, that's the area that alcohol took away. I had no hope, no love, no peace, no believing. My believer was broke. I had no, there was no one inside. It was dead man walking inside me. So alcohol uh, gave me the courage to keep on going in life. 
like a lot of us experience that. So I'd like to ask you to, to uh, commit to me that you will not drink. Those of you that are still drinking, I'd like to ask you to make a commitment to me and you're cornered. I'd like to ask you to, to be good for the rest of your life, one day at a time. I am asking you to commit as a man and a woman. See, see, let's see what you're made of if you're such tough, if you're not a wimp. So let's see how you're made of. If you can commit to not drinking and write it down and, and you know what to do. You know what the con artist tries to get away from things. I'd like to ask you to, to commit to not drinking and commit to being good one day at a time, one day at a time for the rest of your life. Let's see if you can do it. Uh, there's 2 million of us join us. There's been about 15 million of us that gone through the AA fellowship or the 12-step program in various degrees, different different ones from Gamblers Anonymous. Maybe more. This is just AA statistics out of my own awareness since I've been studying since the 80s. Anyway, God bless you. Give them heaven. Take care. Got to go. Let's uh, pray out with the uh, Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I just remember today's Sunday. I don't have to start my Zoom class at 7 a.m. after all. But I'm going to go ahead and turn it on in case someone someone, uh, comes in. Take care. God bless you. See you at the next clip. Hi, thank you very much for coming to today's podcast. I'm Fernando Alcoholic, and I have my buddy here, Patrick, who is also in the program. Greetings. I am Patrick, and I'm an alcoholic in recovery, too. Yeah. Glad I am. A.A. Rocks. We're going to be reading the page 24 of the big book. Before we start, we're going to say a couple of prayers. We're going to say the set-aside prayer and uh, the serenity prayer, so please join us. Lord, help me to set aside everything I think I know about you, everything I think I know about myself, everything I think I know about others, and everything I think I know about recovery, my own. For a new experience in you, Lord, for a new experience in myself, for a new experience in my fellow man, and a much-needed experience in my recovery. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, now serenity prayer, please. God, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Okay, I'll be reading from page 24 of the AA Big Book, starting on the first paragraph that says, The fact is that most alcoholics, for reason yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation, or even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. 
The almost certain consequences that follow taking even a glass of beer do not crowd into the mind to deter us. If these thoughts occur, they are hazy and readily supplanted with the old threadbare idea that this time we shall handle ourselves like other people. There is a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. The alcoholic may say to himself in the most casual way, it won't burn me this time, so here's how, or perhaps he doesn't think at all. How often has some of us begun to drink in this nonchalant way and after the third or fourth pounded on the bar and said to ourselves, for God's sake, how did I ever get started again? Only to have that thought supplanted by, well, I'll stop with the first six drink, or what's the use anyhow? When this sort of thinking is fully established in an individual with alcoholic tendencies, he has probably placed himself beyond human aid, and unless locked up, may die or go permanently insane. These stark and ugly facts have been confirmed by legions of alcoholics throughout history. But for the grace of God, there would have been thousands more convincing demonstrations. So many want to stop, but cannot. There is a solution. Almost none of us like the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, the confession of our shortcomings, which the process requires for a successful consummation. But we saw that it really worked in others, and we had come to believe in the hopelessness and futility as we have been living it, futility of life. When, therefore, we were approached by those in whom the problem had been solved, there was nothing left for us but to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. We have found much of heaven, and we have been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence which we have not even dreamed. The great fact is just this and nothing less, that we have had deep and effective spiritual experiences which have revolutionized our whole attitude towards life, towards our fellows, and towards God's universe. The central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish those things for which we could never do by ourselves. If you are seriously alcoholic as we were, we believe there's no middle of the road solution. We were in a position where life was becoming impossible and if we had passed into the region from which there's no return through human aid, we had but two alternatives. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could, and the other to accept spiritual help. This we did because we honestly wanted to and were willing to make the effort. Turn to page 62, please. Page 62. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us seemingly without provocation, but we invariably find that at some point in the past, we have made decisions based on self, which later placed us in a position to be hurt. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves, and the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run diet. Though he usually doesn't think so, above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of the selfishness. We must, or it kills us. God makes that possible. And there often seems no way of entirely getting rid of self without his aid. 
Many of us had immoral and philosophical convictions galore, but we could not live up to them even though we would have liked to. Neither could we reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on our own power. We had to have God's help. This is the how and why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. Next, we decided that hereafter in this drama of life, God was going to be our director. He is the principal. We are his agents. He is the father. We are his children. Most good ideas are simple, and this concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant arc through which we passed to freedom. When we sincerely took such a position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. We had a new employer. Being all-powerful, he provided what we needed if we get close to him and perform his work well. Established on such a footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves, our little plans and designs. More and more, we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. As we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind, as we discovered we could face life successfully, as we became conscious of his presence, we began to lose our fear today, tomorrow, or the hereafter. We were reborn. We were now at step three. Many of us said to our maker as we understood him, God, I offered myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. We thought well before taking this step making sure we were ready, that we could at last abandon ourselves utterly to him. Page 76, please. When ready, we say something like this. My creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. We have then completed step seven. We're going over to page 86 now. On awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead. We consider our plans for the day. Before we begin, we ask God to direct our thinking, especially asking that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motives. Under these conditions, we can employ our mental faculties with assurance, for after all, God gave us brains to use. Our thought life will be placed on a much higher plane when our thinking is cleared of wrong motives. In thinking about our day, we may face indecision. We may not be able to determine which course to take. Here we ask God for inspiration, an intuitive thought or a decision. We relax and take it easy. We don't struggle. We are often surprised how the right answers come after we have tried this for a while. Let's flip the page to page 87. What used to be the hunch or the occasional inspiration gradually becomes a working part of the mind, being still inexperienced and having just made conscious contact with God. It is not probable that we are going to be inspired at all times. We might pay for this presumption in all sorts of absurd actions and ideas. Nevertheless, we find that our thinking will, as time passes, be more and more on the plane of inspiration we come to rely upon. We usually conclude the period of meditation with a prayer that we be shown all through the day what our next step is to be. 
that we be given whatever we need to take care of such problems. We ask especially for freedom from self-will and are careful to make no requests for ourselves only. We may ask for ourselves, however, if others will be helped. We are careful never to pray for our own selfish ends. Many of us have wasted a lot of time doing that, and it doesn't work. You can easily see why. If circumstances warrant, we ask our wives or friends to join us in the morning meditation. If we belong to a religious denomination which requires a definite morning devotion, we attend to that also. If not members of religious bodies, we sometimes select and memorize a few set prayers which emphasize the principles we have been discussing. There are many helpful books also. Suggestions about these may be obtained from one's priest, minister, or rabbi. Be quick to see where religious people are right. Make use of what they offer. As we go through the day, we pause when agitated or doubtful and ask for the right thought or action. We constantly remind ourselves we are no longer running the show. Humbly saying to ourselves many times each day, Thy will be done. We are then in much less danger of excitement, fear, anger, worry, self-pity, or foolish decisions. We become much more efficient. We do not tire so easily, for we are not burning up energy foolishly as we did when we were trying to arrange life to suit ourselves. It works. It really does. Turn to page 416, please. 416. It helped me a great deal to become convinced that alcoholism was a disease, not a moral issue, that I had been drinking as a result of a compulsion, even though I had not been aware of the compulsion at the time, and that sobriety was not a matter of willpower. The people of AA had something that looked much better than what I had, but I was afraid to let go of what I had in order to try something new. There was a certain sense of security in the familiar. At last, acceptance proved to be the key to my drinking problem. After I'd been around AA for seven months, tapering off alcohol and pills, not finding the program working very well, I was finally able to say, Okay, God, it is true that I, of all people, strange as it may seem, and even though I didn't give my permission, really, really am an alcoholic of sorts. And it is all right with me. Now what am I going to do about it? When I stopped living in the problem and began living in the answer, the problem went away. From that moment on, I have not had a single compulsion to drink. Page 449. And acceptance is the answer to all of my problems today. When I am disturbed, it is because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me, and I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it is supposed to be at this moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing, happens in God's world by mistake. Until I could accept my alcoholism, I could not stay sober. Unless I accept life completely on life's terms, I cannot be happy. I need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world as on what needs to be changed in me and in my attitude. Shakespeare said, All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. He forgot to mention that I was the chief critic. I was always able to see the flaw in every person, every situation, and I was always glad to point it out, because I knew you wanted perfection just as I did. 
AA and accepting has taught me that there's a bit of good in the worst of us and a bit of bad in the best of us, that we are all children of God and we have the right to be here. When I complain about me or about you, I am complaining about God's handiwork. I am saying that I know better than God. For years, I was sure the worst thing that can happen to a nice guy like me would be that I would turn out to be an alcoholic. Today, I find it's the best thing that has ever happened to me. This proves I don't know what's good for me. And if I don't know what's good for me, then I don't know what's good or bad for you or for anyone. So I'm better off if I don't give advice, don't figure I know what's best, and just accept life on life's terms as it is today, especially my own life as it actually is. Before AA, I judged myself by my intentions, while the world was judging me by my actions. Acceptance has been the answer to my marital problems. It is though AA had given me a new pair of glasses. Max and I have been married now for 35 years. Prior to our marriage, when she was a shy, scrawny adolescent, I was able to see things in her that others couldn't necessarily see. Things like beauty, charm, gaiety, a gift of being easy to talk to, a sense of humor, and many other fine qualities. It was if I had, rather than a Midas touch, which turned everything to gold, a magnifying mind that magnified whatever it focused on. Over the years, as I thought about Max, her good qualities grew and grew. And we married, and all these qualities became more and more apparent to me, and we were happier and happier. But then as I drank more and more, the alcohol seemed to affect my vision. Instead of continuing to see what, my, what was good about my wife, I began to see her defects. And the more I focused my mind on her defects, the more they grew and multiplied. Every defect I pointed out to her became greater and greater. Each time I told her she was a nothing, she receded a little more into nowhere. The more I drank, the more she wilted. Then one day, I was in AA, I was told that I had the lenses and my glasses backwards. The courage to change in the serenity prayer meant not that I should change my marriage, but rather that I should change myself and learn to accept my spouse as she was. AA has given me a new pair of glasses. I can again focus on my wife's good qualities and watch them grow, grow, and grow. I can do the same thing with an AA meeting. The more I focus my mind on its defects, late start, long drunkologues, cigarette smoke, the worse the meeting becomes. But when I try to see what I can add to the meeting rather than what I can get out of it, and when I focus my mind on what's good about it rather than what's wrong with it, the meeting keeps getting better and better. When I focus on what's good today, I have a good day. And when I focus on what's bad, I have a bad day. If I focus on a problem, the problem increases. If I focus on the answer, the answer increases. Page 420, please. Perhaps the best thing of all for me is to remember that my serenity is inversely proportional to my expectations. The higher my expectations of Max and other people are, the lower is my serenity. I can watch my serenity level rise when I discard my expectations, but then my rights try to move in and they too can force my serenity level down. I have to discard my rights as well as my expectations by asking myself, how important is it really? How important is it compared to my serenity, my emotional sobriety? And when I place more valuable, more value on my serenity and sobriety than anything else, I can maintain them at a higher level, at, the mean, at least for the meantime. Acceptance is the key to my relationship with God today. 
I never just sit and do nothing while waiting for him to tell me what to do. Rather, I do whatever is in front of me to be done, and I leave the results up to him. However it turns out, that's God's will for me. I must keep my magic magnifying mind on my acceptance and off my expectations, for my serenity is directly proportional to my level of acceptance. When I remember <clears throat> this, I can see I never had it so good. Thank God for AA. Page 552, please. He said, in effect, if you have a resentment you want to be free of, if you will pray for the person or the thing that you resent, you will be free. If you will ask in prayer for everything you want for yourself to be given to them, you will be free. Ask for their help, their prosperity, their happiness, and you will be free. Even when you don't really want it for them and your prayers are only words and you don't mean it, go ahead and do it anyway. Do it every day for two weeks and you will find you have come to mean it and want it for them. And you will realize that where you used to feel bitterness and resentment and hatred, you now feel compassionate, understanding, and love. It worked for me then, and it has worked for me many times since, and it will work for me every time I am willing to work it. Sometimes I have to ask first for the willingness, but it too always comes. And because it works for me, it will work for all of us. As another great man says, the only real freedom a human being can ever know is doing what you ought to do because you want to do it. This great experience that released me from the bondage of hatred and replaced it with love is really just another affirmation of the truth I know. I get everything I need in Alcoholics Anonymous, and everything I need, I get. And when I get what I need, I invariably find that it was just what I wanted all the time. Page 100, please. Both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. If you persist, remarkable things will happen when we look back we realize that the things that came to us when we put ourselves in god's hands were better than anything we could have planned follow the dictates of a higher power and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world no matter what your present circumstance let's go to page 83 if we are painstaking about this phase of our development we will be amazed before we are halfway through we are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. Page 85, please. 85. It is easy to let up on this spiritual program of action and rest in our laurels. We are headed for trouble if we do, for alcohol is a subtle foe. We are not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. How can I best serve thee? 
thy will, not mine, be done. These are thoughts which must go with us constantly. We can exercise our willpower along this line all we wish. It is the proper use of the will. Much has already been said about receiving strength, inspiration, and direction from him who has all knowledge and power. If we have carefully followed directions, we have begun to sense the flow of his spirit into us. To some extent, we have become God conscious. We have begun to develop this vital sixth sense, but we must go further, and that means more action. Page 43. Once more, the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink, except in a few rare cases. Neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense. His defense must come from a higher power. D.N., Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. A reading of Limitless Love, December the 1st. For love's sake, take care of yourself. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Galatians 5, 13 and 14. The life of love is a life of continued giving of yourself to others. It is God-centered and other-centered instead of self-centered. When we're walking in love and we face a decision, our first thought is not, what do I want to do in this situation? What will make me happy? But what does the Lord want me to do here? What choice will enable me to be the greatest blessing I can possibly be? That doesn't mean we neglect to take care of ourselves. However, it doesn't mean we ignore our own spiritual and natural needs. It is not loving and right to go on and on working endlessly on behalf of others until you work yourself to exhaustion. If you do that long enough, you will reach a place physically that makes you ineffective spiritually. You'll end up bankrupt with nothing left to give. Instead of being a blessing to others, you'll become a burden to them. There is nothing loving about that. Years ago, I made that mistake in ministry. I had such a drive and desire to serve the Lord and preach the word. And those who were hungry to hear it, that I overcommitted myself. I wound up preaching seven days a week. I didn't even take a day of rest. That's not scriptural. And anything that is unscriptural cannot possibly be done in love. After a while, I got so tired I could hardly make it up the steps of the airplane to fly me to my next meeting. I remember thinking, I must be the most tired man in the world. The reason? I was drawing strength from my spirit, giving out all, all the time without taking the time to rest and replenish myself. I really believe I, if I had kept it up, I would have killed me at an early age. But thank God the Holy Spirit showed me my mistake. I repented and made the change it's been years since then, and I'm still going strong, serving the Lord and ministering 
to people today. As you learn to walk in love, remember that you can only be a blessing to others if you take good care of yourself. Take the time to maintain a strong spirit, a refreshed soul, and a healthy body. Do it not out of selfishness, but out of your desire to be a blessing to others. <clears throat> because you love your neighbors, be sure to love yourself. That way you'll not only be willing, but able to keep on serving them for many years to come. <clears throat> that was Kenny Copeland out of Limitless Love. Wonderful, wonderful. So let's go ahead and pray. Our Father who art in heaven, please allow us to stay strong so we can help others. Please allow us and help us to be strong, Lord, and wealthy to go out there and encourage others. Wealthy and healthy and a good attitude to go out there and help others. Lord, we ask you to fill our granaries, fill our bank accounts, our joy and our strength, that we may have plenty of wits and humor to do your work, Lord. Help us to rest and ground ourselves in the proper manner that you see fit. Help us to exercise and keep our bones and our muscles strong, Lord. Help us to, Lord, allow us to do the right thing for our bodies, for our mind, and our souls as we minister to others and for others. We give our, dedicate ourselves in Jesus' name. Amen. Our next reading is uh, December the 2nd, Limitless Love. Is by Kenneth Copeland again. Stay connected to the Spirit. These be they who separate themselves sensually, having not the Spirit. But you, beloved, building up yourself on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in the love of God. Jude 19.21 The Bible tells us, know clearly just how secure we are in God's love. Okay, let me go ahead and read that scripture again, because someone was not paying attention. The reader these be they who separate themselves, sensual having not the spirit. But you, beloved, building up yourself on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourself in the love of God, Jude, Jude 19, 21. You know, you know, for me, praying in the Holy Ghost is also a uh, humming. Um, Ooh, a little tune in my heart, a little joy, um, you know, a, a song, and just humming. I believe the uh, speaking in tongues is it's a humming. And there's probably some pretty good humming uh, chorus or verses on the YouTube that we can latch on to. <clears throat> and uh, they probably got it down packed where we can sing along and get the Holy Spirit to do its proper work, to straighten us up, straighten us out. Amen. Kenny Copeland goes on to say, the Bible lets us know clearly just how secure we are in God's love. It says that love is so strong that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, 
nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love from it. Romans 8, 38 and 39. That's a powerful statement. Yet, even so, there is one person and only one who's not included in that list. That person is you. God will never fall out of love with you. The devil will never be able to keep God's love from reaching you. But you can separate yourself from it. And that is exactly what many believers do. How? By remaining sensual or carnal, most people associate sensuality with gross moral sin. But actually, to be sensual in its most basic form simply means to be moved or led by the natural fleshly senses rather than by the word and the spirit of god when we begin to let our senses or our flesh govern our behavior we always get off into sin what's more we open ourselves to deception because we are basing our lives on the natural world around us satan who is the god of this world can easily work his while Excuse me, honest there. When we let our fellowship with God slip and don't maintain our spiritual walk by spending time in the Word and in prayer, we often begin to attribute thoughts to God when they actually originate in our carnal minds. I've seen men base their ministry on such errors. They stand up in the pulpit and say, After I had my heart attack and was lying in the hospital, God told me, he gave me that heart attack to slow me down and teach me something. God doesn't give people heart attacks, but when we get drawn into sensual carnal thinking, we can be deceived into believing he does. And when we start thinking that way, we can find ourselves separated from the love of God. We can end up cutting ourselves off from his blessing and power. Being led by our own natural stinking thinking instead of by his spirit and his faith-building word. Don't let that happen to you. Keep yourself in God's love. Stay connected to his spirit and his truth by praying in the Holy Ghost and abiding in his word. Be spiritual, not sensual, and you'll stay connected with God's love. Then one will be able to steal the blessing from you. Do not let that happen to you. Again, keep yourself in God's love. Stay connected to his spirit and his truth by praying in the Holy Ghost and abiding in his word. Be spiritual, not sensual, and you'll stay connected with God's love. That Then one will be able to steal, no one will be able to steal the blessing from you. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening.